To all of the veterans out there, thank you for your service. Welcome to the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. As always, we are coming to you from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group studio. My name is Michael Wellington, and the man across the table from me is my tag team partner. Many of you know him as the Natty King. His name is Brandon McNamee. Brandon, what's happening today, my man? Man, this weather this week, fuck, everything's perfect. Everything's good. good. Everything's good. How about you? How you doing? I can't complain. We've got candles in the studio. Every time. We've it's my got, ceremonial light a candle before we start every day. Yeah, every we've got uh, good weather outside, and we've got a very interesting guest today, a good friend of mine. Chris Pondoff is here today. We're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about addiction. We're going to talk about treatment. Chris, thanks for coming and joining us today. Yeah, yeah. excited. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm a little nervous, though. Uh, you guys are heavy hitters. <laughs> what, you have You've a podcast of your own. own. What are you talking about? <laughs> I got nervous before those, too. So, you know, I like to bullshit, but uh, I don't want to let you all down. No, <laughs> just bullshit away, brother. Good. Just do it. Say whatever you want. Thanks for having me. This whatever. is really a cool, cool studio, man. Well, when you work with the Podfather, yeah, <laughs> that's I like that. Yeah, you, know, you can only expect greatness. <laughs> I 100%. do. I like that. You, I mean, this. What is that? A garden rain. Bright yellow blooms, sweet, clean, filtered candle. Floral. Floral, sorry. Yes, yes. That's, uh, it's summer. It goes well, it's with, all, it goes well with your sleeve tats, Thank Brandon. you. Yeah. yeah. The Natty <laughs> King is <laughs> my little sweet little. The, the Natty King is big into the sense of smell. That's right. It's my big thing. Okay. My, my big thing is, uh, is, is smells, senses, and shit like that. No, this is cool, man. And Mike, when you text me that you guys were starting this up, you know, I, I was I was thrilled at, at, and I was a. Uh, uh, a little bit wanted to text back, you know, it's about time. This is this is something that, uh, yeah, it's your calling almost, man, to be be out there from mountaintops. This fucking guy wrote a book. I know, I know. I every time, forget that. Every time I look at him, I'm like, this guy wrote a book. That's amazing. It's, isn't a it? book. It's intimidating. Fuck, isn't I haven't it? even read a book. <laughs> hey, I can barely read. I've said that many times <laughs> on this podcast. Part. But Chris, tell us a little bit about your story, your history. I know that you've experienced mm-hmm. some of the lowest of lows. Yeah. You've turned your life around. Was your big thing, was it booze, was it drugs, was it both? What, what were you into back when you were uh, getting after a little bit? I I, my, I mean, primarily it was, and I, I often say uh, amongst some of my peers in the recovery circles that, thank God, I didn't take to the pain pills, but it was alcohol for me. And alcohol was a catalyst to Coke. So was I primarily addicted to, to blow, waking up in the morning and, and doing a rail before starting my day no it was to keep my keep my drunk in check so i can continue the party or continue the couple days or even sad to say drive home from whatever tavern i was at you know a couple lines would for some reason they 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 lower your buzz a little bit and focus you hyper focus so you can you think you can drive better but you know I, I do often say when I first got out of rehab and I was driving some friends around, they're like, you're the worst driver. I'm like, motherfucker, I've been driving sober for like two minutes. I didn't, I'm not used to doing this. I started driving when I was 16 and 90% of the time I was probably intoxicated on uh, something. So so that's what I was going to ask you. Did you start the dark days? Were you still a teenager? Were you in your early 20s? Was this before you were married? Like, what was the sequence of events? Um, I, I have done a lot of self-reflecting and 
the last nine years. Uh, March 25th, I had nine years sober. So Congrats. Thanks, guys. Great, it's um, doing that self-reflecting, a lot of healing. Uh, you know, you can trace back some a source of childhood trauma that happened to uh, my source was when I was eight. We were go-karting with me and my best friend, and my best friend's go-kart flipped, and it killed him right in front of me. And, and oh, my fuck. At eight years old? Yeah. And my old man was there. He took us. He, you know, hopped the fence. We had to go to the ER. And my old man was this kid's father, for lack of better words. His bio father was, uh, and I'll say it is a piece of shit. He's doing life in prison now, but. Sounds like a good guy. Yeah, scamming veterans and and elderly oh, people out of their trust funds uh, over in Belleville. Yeah, he's so he's he's a fuck that guy. Right. If he ever gets out, there might be a right. <laughs> might be a come to Jesus. But the the point is, this guy and I, I realize he lost his son. He he was at the race, the horse track, and what I remember in the emergency room was he he came to the emergency room and started wailing on my my old man, and they like escorted me out. My old man sat there and took it, and was you you know. His he's like this guy lost his son trying to you know we knew he was a piece of shit but he lost his son he was liquored up and and they escorted him out and then he turned around and filed a restraining order on us from going to the funeral uh, and I as an eight year old had a restraining order to go going to my best friend's funeral we said fuck that I was a Paul Bear anyway but since then since that moment um, Jesus dude yeah it's it's brutal but what happened was and and I wrote about this on my blog that turned into a podcast and I've I've spoke about it on an episode that I was able to grow up after that with a uncanny ability to shift self-accountability to that trauma, traumatic experience where, because I, I noticed myself getting as an eight, nine, 10, 11 year old, I had, you know, some behaviors after the trauma, but there was, I, I noticed myself getting some away with some shit. And yeah, I, I titled the blog and the, the episode I did as Sorry But. Like, I always say, Sorry But, this happened to me. So I would, and it turned, it was a form of, I mean, my parents didn't know better, and there's this kind of enabling. So when I got to taste alcohol and whiskey when I was 12 or 13, it was, it made me feel good from some dark shit, self medicating, right? And then if I got in trouble, I could say, well, you know, I'm self, I'm sorry. I had this, I'm still, I miss my fucking best friend. I, you know, don't know how to even internalize it as a baby. Eight-year-olds are fucking babies, right? And, and and that didn't do me any favors as I progressed into partying and drinking and, you know, hitting it hard. And in the town I grew up in, Belleville, Illinois, it, it hit me when I went to college, people didn't do high school like we did high school in Belleville for some reason. And I mean, I had guys from Chicago wanting to come to Belleville for spring break to do blow, go to the strip clubs. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, they're, they, we were insane. And, and I know people party in high school, but I've, I've heard people say like, you know, if you're a girl from Belleville and you're 16 or older and you're not drinking a beer, the first question is, are you pregnant? And I mean, it's fucked up. Jesus. It was like that. And if, if you're either an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic, it's a funny statement but i mean it's 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 crazy i i and i haven't experienced other i mean i haven't lived a super <clears throat> sheltered life so there is some truth to that there's exceptions obviously and i'm sure everybody's got fucked up in high school but man it's 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 bad and i we've had a lot of a lot of kids went to school with dropping like flies recently because of the fentanyl epidemic and we can touch on that in a little bit later but through my 20s after college it was work hard play hard i was drinking every day Bottle of VO. All day long. What's VO? Seagram's Whiskey. VO. It's a Canadian blend. Cheaper. It's like 
between it's like a step down from crown when you say a bottle fifth like a fifth every day yeah whoa yeah sounds like a lot it's gotta be a fucking i only drink beers so i don't really know much about the hard liquor and shit well and that sounds like a fucking ton it's and i mean on and i wasn't mixing it with soda it was a diet it was a Club soda or on the rocks with a little bit of water. Oh, shit. Uh, after work, so I wouldn't hit it in the morning, but I would put down before bed a, a, a fifth. Damn. So that's in a short and period of time. And in my tw- early 20s, yeah. This is when I knew that there was a problem was I had got sick in college and I it would have been 36 hours. Uh, I was dating a girl back home. I was up in Champaign. She was in Belleville Highland area. And I was being an asshole on the phone. And she's like, when's the last time you fucking had a drink? And it, boom, light bulbs went off. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, oh, I'm crap. I need a drink. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I poured one. And next thing you know, I'm like, and I often to this day will say, people ask me what drink I miss the most. It's a hot toddy by a fucking landslide. What's that? that? Yeah. It's when you're sick. It's yeah, hot whiskey with a little bit of tea and honey. I mean, mine turned into hot. I just throw a fucking whiskey <laughs> in a glass and stick it in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't doctoring it up, but still... I didn't know if I was feeling better or just getting shit-faced, but <laughs> the hot toddy, Dang. man, when I'm really sick is the drink I miss the most. And I can, you know, I settle with over-the-counter stuff. It's fine, but that yeah. is the absolute drink I miss the most. How long were you drinking this this much every day? Like, for was it for a while? Decade. Wow. Until I was 30. Fuck. And it was, it was every day. Uh-huh. No off days, no rest days. I would like, say if there was an off day or rest day, it was maybe three quarters of a fifth. Or that a, was a rest day. Yeah, like I would sip on it. Wow, and so you were getting it, dude. After puking, if if it ever came to that. But, you know, you get the tolerance, right? I mean, I would pour the glasses. would be it was just brown liquid in a glass with a couple ice cubes by the end of it. But I had an accountability structure in a way. And I loved my, my old man until uh, I was 20. I worked for him through family dynamics. All my eggs were in his basket. I would have gone through the gates of hell for him. I... Uh, he was my best friend, my brother, my old man. I worked, lived with him in and out of my twenties. Did you 20s with him every day? And he self-medicated on whiskey, but there was something about him that he was, his, in my eyes, the most successful guy on the planet. I mean, worshipped him, and he was a very successful businessman, and everybody loved him. Worked a room. He's, I mean, anybody, nobody has a bad thing to say about Tommy P. And uh, twenty-eight years old, I get the call. He he dropped out of a heart attack when he was fifty-four years old, and and that's when. When he died, I died. So that bottle became a plastic jug. And that VO turned into rich and rare whiskey because it's a lot cheaper. And I was drinking now a jug. A jug is more than a fifth? It's like two, yeah. It's 1.75 liters. So his death accelerated your drinking? (laughs) Yes. I say that because it, I, I, maybe, maybe I was too big of a pussy to, you know, swallow a bullet, but I did not want to wake up. I passed out where I was every night for two years. The lights went out. It was done. Everybody knew it. Like, everybody in town and social circle and family, when Tom died, they're like, this isn't going to be good. He's already, they all knew he's already an alcoholic, and they knew. Somebody approached me. My best friend's old man said, I don't know anybody in my life I've ever met that are closer than you and you and Tom. And take that away and... It was it was brutal, and I miss him every day. It, it was May twelfth, uh, twenty twelve, when he died, and you know we all lose parents. So I, I'm not trying to be you know pity party here, but no, it, it no. fucked me up, man. And of course, 
I, I guess throughout my 20s, my, my shot of choice became Rumpelman's on top of... Oh, wow. You start a car with Rumpelman's. That's it's, that hardcore shit. Smells like fucking mints and shit. Brushing my teeth in the morning yeah. with it. Yeah. My buddy Brian Travers loves that shit. Hey, Brian. How's he? Hey, hey Brian. <laughs> Hi, Brian. <laughs> I bet he gets. I bet he gets a attitude on him after no, a couple rumplements. No, not at all. No, he's happy rumplements guy. Oh, he just throws it in the mix. It's great. Yeah. It's good stuff, but yeah. it'll get you from point A to point B pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I could do that. It's hundred proof schnapps, so it's peppermint schnapps, and hmm. a guy I know to drink with real well. God bless him. He uh, you know, was was Budweiser, Rumplemans, and Doc said you got to quit drinking. Got health issues. Got to quit drinking. He said, "All right, so now it's Bud Light and Doctor McGillicuddy's." <laughs> dropped it down. <laughs> he dropped it down. McGillicuddy's is like the forty-proof Pepsi now, but like he does like three of them to every one Rumplemans. I'm like, that's not really how it works, like, buddy. But healthier, bud. you know, he's still kicking. Knock on wood. So when yeah, when Tom died, man, I uh, I just didn't. That was really your biological wanna, father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, he'd been through. You know, he was self-medicating. He his oldest brother died in Vietnam with a Marine. I've talked to you about him, but our, the veteran stuff, that's where my passion for the work you do comes from, is Purple Heart, and he was killed. His father was a Pearl Harbor survivor. Oh, fuck. So, and then he watched this kid that was like a son to him, you know, it was as traumatic on him as it was on me. So, God love my mother. Their their marriage was up in the hills and valleys, whose isn't, but... Yeah, man, it was it was brutal. So so when he when he went out, it was it was two years of me just really throwing in the towel and drinking to numb it. And and I'll tell you, there was a lot of little nudges, not not one huge rock bottom moment for me. Something just started. Get, and I can point probably to my my little sister who was eighteen when Tom died, graduating high school the next week, and. She didn't have a father anymore, and not that I want to replace him in her life. I, I heard that often, but you know she's going to need me. And that, I think if I had to pinpoint one thing that that God did for me was was wake me up to that and give me the will to live. And when I got the will to live, I checked into rehab. So how long after your dad passed, you went through this stretch where you're boozing it all day hard every day? How long was it before that happened with your sister where you kind of— I guess you got shaken a little bit, and then you went to treatment. Was that a year? Was it five years? When Tom died May 12th of 2012, I checked into rehab March 25th of 2014. So it's 22 months until I checked in. And I think I would tell you that probably the last three to four months of of my— because it was my 30th birthday was Thanksgiving of of 13. You know, fast forward to the holidays, and then March is when I checked in, and that thirtieth birthday was was embarrassing. Just I look back at the pictures and things that went down. Not anything crazy, but I tried not to drink early. The party started at five. My friends and family were having a little thirtieth birthday party for me over in Belleville, and I tried not to drink till five, and that didn't go well. And I got so sick. Um, I was laying by on not a, drinking. Uh huh. I was laying on a bathroom floor. Yeah, I guess I should tell this fucking story because it's crazy now that I think about it. My mom shows up to my friend's house who were hosting this party, tells my roommate, also an alcoholic, to go pour me a drink. My mom's sick, like, at my alcoholism and prays, goes to these fucking singing nuns in Belleville called the Poor Claire Sisters, praying every day that God helps me get sober. She's not sleeping at night, waiting for the phone call of something crazy going down. She's telling this guy to make me a drink so I can get up off the bathroom floor. I and it's like I'm like I was so sick I didn't think I needed a drink or wanted to and that's what I I needed my body needed a fucking drink 
So he poured me a drink and I was off and running. And uh, it, it made you feel better right away, probably. I mean, it's like a fucking uh, antidote or potion of That's something. Absolutely insane. Well, I've had friends wow. that I've had to put into alcohol treatment, right? Yeah. A- and every time we would call the facility, and you can probably speak more to mm-hmm. this, but when we would call the facility to set up the date and the arrival and all that, every single one of them would say, "Well, don't let him stop drinking. Mm-mm. Keep let him keep drinking because if he if he stops, it could kill him. Yeah. Alcohol." Cold turkey and an alcohol that alcohol withdrawal is, can be fatal, and benzo withdrawal can be fatal, which is Xanax, those pills. So, heroin, where you think you're going to die, won't it, you cannot die from withdrawal on heroin or opioids. Alcohol, you can, you can seize up and die. That's funny that alcohol and Xanax are the only ones that you can actually get <laughs> legally. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but they're the ones that are seem to be the worst for you. I mean, I don't it's know. a good point. I mean, I'm not saying, I, I don't, never know. I mean, heroin's obviously horrible for you. It, 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 I've, I've seen in treatment I've, and, and being in that circle, I've seen a couple times people withdrawing from from heroin and opioids. And it's like, I mean, it's it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Them, they want to die. They're puking, yeah. shitting, sweating. My and, brother and went you, through it. it. It's multiple times. My brother went really? through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I eventually lost him to fentanyl in 2018. I am fucking but, so uh, sorry. No, thank you. But yeah, watched him go through it for for years. I mean, he was oh shit, man. Um, he was 27 when he died. I was on the phone with my mom when she found him. But that's a whole other story. Out of here. But uh, yeah, dude, I've seen that heroin withdrawal, and that we'd lock him in a room and just like we love you, like, and he'd try, mm. and then yeah, no. I'm so sorry to hear that. No, I mean it. You. I I mean, and, thank and thanks for sharing because God damn it, this is. There's we. I was just yesterday at the recovery center. We're opening in June, over in uh, Swansea, Belleville, Illinois, and we were standing around. And there's five of us in recovery that are part of this. Uh, well, they're part of this little group meeting, uh, impromptu meeting. And a buddy said, "Hey, how's Jordan doing? And did, is he still alive? I know. I gave his eulogy last summer. And he goes, "I remember you telling me that." He goes, "I can't fucking keep track anymore." Because it's folks are dropping like flies, and, and yeah. Jordan had been to rehab eighteen fucking times. Oh my! In my eulogy, I said I looked his mom in the eye. I said he's, I go, he's not a fucking just some fucking junkie. Going through that eighteen times is he fought for you. He couldn't beat it. He fought mm-hmm. for you to go through that, and that doesn't include the prison stints he had for stealing fucking low petty theft to right. feed his addiction. And and he got out, and this kid knows how to use. He's a professional. He knows how to use. It was fentanyl. It no, fucked him. One shot. Done. My brother just got out of prison six days prior. As healthy as he's ever looked. I mean, the guy was fucking... Been, he, was, been, he was down for two years, mm-hmm. and he was just, like, jacked and in a great state of mind and just was, like, working out with me every day. And we were... Everything was great. Six days. And, and he took a... Uh, found a tiny little fucking capsule. looked like an ibuprofen, like a little... Mm-hmm. And it was... They were like, this is the smallest amount. Like, this shouldn't even have killed him type shit he knew better to go right to back to his old dosage i mean yeah that used yeah. to be the way guys would and gals would od is they'd get out of some kind of sustained sobriety and then they'd go back to their regular oh, dose to do this is what i used amount. to hit yeah and it it take them it's no, not he had heart. a tiny little fucking wait probably a tenth of what he usually take back in the day and it was fentanyl uh-huh. found a little capsule right on it's just not fucking fair man right i'm so sorry and that and and that's the conversation we had and 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 to go back to what I said earlier when I started, thank God that 
I've, I thank God every day that it wasn't a, a pill thing for me because it's, you know, I don't know your brother's story, but I know a lot of recovering. It started with Xanax. Really? Yeah. And, and then uh, it was just, what's the next one? What's the next sure. one? What's the next? Then it was heroin. And it got to the point where we saw on his phone where he was actively seeking out Finney. Like he wasn't even like it used it to be stronger. where like used to be like people would get heroin and they'd be like, man, I hope it's not laced with some shit. But you know what? It's worth trying. Fucking shoot it. And they would just hope for the best because it was the high was worth it. Now they're looking for fentanyl. They're not looking for heroin. They're looking for that fucking fentanyl. That's because it's stronger. Right. It's crazy. And they're knowing this could kill me right now. I'm there. I'm taking it. That's Doesn't what the, it, the, it does to the brain, man. It may it, you have to feed it mm-hmm. or, or you you can't live without it and insane man these guys the ceo and and really the founder of illinois recovery center is what it's going to be called uh what it's called now i mean we're we're actively getting ready to open june 1st uh, as a target date you know he his story is incredible and he's one of the lucky ones as i am and he said that you know he didn't wake up out of fucking bed and decide to start shooting heroin you know it starts with a fucking pain pill or you know if you start on benzos and graduate up but for him it was you know, oxy gets too expensive. I mean, he's the, the, the common theme. These heroin addicts, heroin addicts are fucking scared of needles. I mean, who isn't? I mean, these guys hate needles. You don't mm-hmm. just wake up out of bed. And start Nobody likes needles. Shoot yeah. between your toes to try to get fucking high. Right. Is fentanyl cheaper than heroin? Oh, fuck yeah. Is it? I know the lat. So you get fentanyl. I know a, a guy that is uh, alcoholics that end up with pancreatitis, which is one of the most painful fucking flare ups and diseases you can have. Where's your pancreas at? Somewhere between your chin and your growing. That's my guess. <laughs> Somewhere in there. It's in there and it fucking hurts from what I hear. Really? When and and I do know some people that have had it and it's no joke. So when they go the pain is so bad, like they fucking some of them have to take you know, the doctors administer fentanyl because it's oh, the stronger than morphine. It's yeah. the only thing that will subdue that severe fucking pain. And I mean it's Unbelievable. Yeah. So it's always to get more for cheaper, right? I mean, it's simple supply it's and demand. The pills much. are too expensive on the street. And when you're doing so many of them to maintain what your body's wanting, it's cheaper to shoot heroin than it's cheaper to get shoot So, fentanyl. Chris, a couple questions yeah. for you. So you, you go into treatment. Mm-hmm. First question is, what was it like in the treatment facility the first two weeks? And then secondly, when did you make that shift from an addict to someone that is now out there helping people get treatment and get well? Two good questions. So when I, I, I and I've shared this story and I'm, I'm, I'm open and big about uh, my faith and it's good. It's gotten me sober. It's got kept me in a sustained life of recovery. And, and it's not, it's, it's my faith. And then the, a, a church that I go to as a personal friend of mine's a, the pastor, lead pastor. And I watched him walk the walk with our family while I was still an active alcoholic. Six months after my father died, our family lost a 13-month-old to a congenital heart defect. And my cousin's son is like a nephew, right? You've been, you know, the Olive and Oak story. So uh, Mark's like my brother. When he was, he got the flu, Ali, right after Christmas, uh, got the flu in 2012, and his heart couldn't handle it, went to Cardinal Glennon, and eventually through some things was on life support for four or five days and our family was just there you know and i remember getting the call that he had went to cardiac arrest it was a saturday night i think and i was at the bar on the bar stool and the bar manager made me coffee because she said the last thing you need to do is put your family through any more fucking shit i'm not gonna be able to stop you from going 
But the last thing that can happen is you put your family through some more shit. I remember that conversation because it stuck with me to get sober too. You know, to here's helpless, poor Allie can't help itself and I'm doing what I'm doing to myself. So I go and through that whole four or five days, this pastor's like doesn't leave the pick you and the NICU at, at Cardinal Glennon. And I'm like, and I knew him and I've gone to his church and I, I like I like his spiel. That's what I always used to tell him. It's funny about Granite City. He would like, he would told me the first time he met me, he goes, Chris, I'm from Granite City. I can see through your bullshit. That's what he said to me. And I'm like, all right, I like this guy, right? So we developed a reputation. And uh, I told him, I go, if I ever turn my shit around, I'll, I'll come to your place. And I, I, you know, I'm a Jesus guy. He could have been a Buddhist fucking monk, and I, I might have been going to a temple or something. <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciate him. And and when I got out of, I haven't missed really a Sunday, subsequently met my wife at his church, fostered and adopted our son at that church, married there, all the, all the you know, hunky-dory bullshit. So yeah. previously, you know, before I got sober, was uh, engaged to a stripper, but that's a whole different story. Maybe we'll save that for, okay. we'll save that for McCurney's <laughs> show. <Yeah. laughs> that might be the TMA audience. I wouldn't yeah. that one. Okay. So we, I checked into rehab, and I brought the faith stuff up is because my first night, man, I, you, you know. Had to be brutal. You're strip searched. You're. You know, by a, another addict, this guy named Frank was pretty gentle, but, uh, you know, I think he, he went he, he went to third or he went to third, to third base on me a little bit. <laughs> Checked like, your what are you using your mouth for? You're going to suck the Zannies uh, out of me here, but God damn, but while you're done, he, let me finish. Anyway, so, you know, they put me in these hospital scrubs and I'm, you think I'm fucking chubby now. I'm fat, swollen. These things don't fit. I'm in this room. They get me to my room. They take all your stuff and wash you. To get a bag of clothes, they wash everything. So this is yeah. March twenty fifth, twenty fourteen. Yes, sir. And this is you had you had a drink prior to going in, like like you fr- you're still probably drunk going into this nope. rehab or nope. I didn't do that. I did. I didn't do that. I had a. I I went to my PCP, uh-huh. primary care physician. Highly recommend anybody that's listening to have a primary care physician. She I credit her with helping save my life as well. There's a I have a board of directors. She's on it. Yeah. You know, this pastor's on it. Anytime I have like a life where I need you got your people, people that will yeah. fucking tell me straight. Yeah. Not what I want to hear. I go to these five or six people and it's it's super effective. I also recommend people, whoever they be, put them at your your list of advisors because you, you know little my old man's gone. I gotta have somebody that's right. gonna tell me what I what what's what. Um, not what Chris wants to hear. So I left her office Monday afternoon, and I go, I need to go home first. I'll check in tomorrow. She's like, there's no way he's checking in. Because I am now in the recovery, no fucking way. But it's, it, you have a 2% chance probably, yeah. I, I would I would say. But I was serious. I went home. I had a couple, and I poured my last one, and I stared at this rocks glass at like 10 o'clock that Monday night. And and I told my roommate, I go, this is it. This is it. And I did it, and I uh, finished it. I woke up the next morning, and I drove to my mom's, and she was living in Webster, and uh, she took me to, to rehab, and I checked in around lunchtime. And I let them know. They were like, when's your last drink? I let them know so they they keep their eye on me and, and yeah, get me into say, detox. Like, yeah. But that was a yeah, very good question. And so that evening, I'm, I'm like, in, I'm in this room. The, the the treatment center was in U City. It's it's closed now. It's It was connected to a larger facility. I I not quite sure even to this day what it might have been a mental health facility with inpatient but volunteer because you can't involuntarily commit. i think we've been through that before you may know more about that mike than than i do 
it's just not it's not the fucking Hilton all inclusive in Cancun that I was at last <laughs> no. week. Let me tell you. I'm I'm looking out the window and 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 I just start bawling and I start look uh, then I look up and just start screaming at Jesus and I'm like, How the fuck did it get to this? And I went to bed in a uh, screaming match and I finally fell asleep and So you're feeling like shit. You're like twenty four hours in without a drink or Not did even, they give you probably 12 I, they've given me my my round of meds which kind of supposed to chill you out and and their nurses are coming and checking on you then making sure that you're not seizing up or anything and help you with the dts but i'm having the screaming match with god i'm motherfucking what the fuck and i just let it all out i let it all probably for about an hour hour and a half and i finally just like cry myself to sleep like a child and i i swear to god i woke up the next morning with a with a a nurse tapping me for breakfast and i got out of bed and there was an overwhelming sense of peace and i i said this is it this is my this is this is it i'm gonna do this and Fuck yeah, dude. i don't want to do it no more and i don't i want to get out of this place i don't want to i don't know how i got to this but i i i don't know man it was it, god that night while i was sleeping like fucking looked over me and uh i'm just forever humbled and and, and it will be accountable i often talk about the the three pillar words that I take out that are more than words to me and, and I think are the basis for my recovery and can be the basis for anyone's recovery is humility, accountability, and faith for me. So the, the humility and accountability, whether someone's faithful or not, it's on their own but and to each their own. But it was an ultimate humbling. And I wasn't a cocky asshole at this point. I just, I mean, rock bottom. I get along with a lot of people, but an ultimate ultimate humbling experience how did it get to this i'm in fucking rehab had a lot going for me i've been blessed i grew up in a up you know my old man did very well financially i mean what the fuck mm -hmm. and i fucked it up and i was humbled man and I, I try to remember that every day and then from this day on you know the old serenity i can't control it all but what i can control is 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 my actions and i can take responsibility for them and it's fucking liberating, man. And it's, it's people that I talk to today when they're in the pit and I say, it's time to start fucking holding yourself accountable and don't take that as a, I'm judging you. Take that as I'm with you, man. This is a, this is how you free yourself of this shit because starting today, you're going to be in charge of your actions and you're not going to wake up any, in the morning and somebody's going to be, well, can you believe what you fucking did last night? You know, can you believe who you fucked last night? And that's so-and-so's blah. That's, you started all this shit. None of that. You don't I know have that none feeling. of that anxiety, man. I know that feeling. None of it. And it's the worst. Yeah. It's yeah. the fucking worst. Especially Waking when up you in the can't morning. remember it. Oh, my God. And you wake up in the morning and it's Talk scary. Talk about anxiety, dude. Like, and the only way to cure that anxiety for another me? Another drink, yeah. Boom. Mm -hmm. And it try to self-medicate. And what a fucking cycle. But not anymore, I said. That day... It's starting here. I'm accountable for my actions, and I'm going to take it back, and I'm going to take that back. We have covered so much here. Let's take a quick break and come right back. We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting.
The Street Smart Mental Health Podcast is powered by Birdies for Bipolar. Birdies for Bipolar aids veterans and civilians living with mental illness by using golf as recreational therapy. For more information, check out birdiesforbipolar.org. That's birdies, the number four, bipolar.org. Welcome back to Street Smart. Let's dig back in. So it was your first stint 30 days? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, I detoxed and did treatment. I wanted to get out by Easter. So did you have this? Against, they wanted me to stay longer, and well, I should have probably listened. But Well, I mean, I think right now, if you look back, I think it worked out the way it was supposed yeah. to work out. But in that two-week stretch, mm -hmm. is that when you kind of shifted from the severe alcoholic to, man, I, I can share my knowledge and I can help other people with this? Or did that happen after you got out? It started in there because inside you're, you're flooded with cognitive group therapy. And it's the first time in my life that you're sitting around a table hearing people <laughs> and you just want to fucking hug everyone. You're like, you were going through that too? Like, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I've got goosebumps right now. You and, feel less alone. Right? Oh, it just shatters yeah. that myth. I know this feeling. It shatters that myth of being alone in this thing. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism and I guess part of the brain and, and there's a reason why you check in for treatment for alcoholism or opioid heroin addiction. And you're in the same groups and the same treatment facility because it's the same brain dopamine fucking chase right. that you're going yep. after. And I learned so much from folks in there and then seeing the people leading these cognitive groups are people in recovery, living in sober houses, running sober programs that have transformed their lives from something that you never thought was possible. I, I never thought I'd be able to stop drinking. I never wanted to stop drinking. And then when I wanted to, I never thought it was possible. Nobody thought it was possible. And that for me is the God thing, man, the impossible becoming possible. Isn't it interesting how when you're in that bad place, alcohol's owning you, you're totally selfish. And then when you move through it and get to a better place, you start to become selfless. I, and that's what you've done. I almost am uncomfortable with receiving this much grace from God that I have to, I have to get it off me here. You guys got to come see this. You got to check this out here. I've been so lucky. I've been one of the lucky ones. And I've met too many people that lost a loved one that that wasn't so lucky, and I I just I I just don't take that for granted. I can't, and and I'm so passionate about meeting someone at where they're at at rock bottom and and, and helping them ex and and show them a way to, that they can transform their lives, and it it's so much better. It's so much better. And there's I finally started to grieve the loss of my old man the correct way, and I fucking gut-wrenched every day about it. I miss him so much. I talk to him all the time. We laugh. I can hear him fucking chirping me all day long. But man, there's so much joy in life without this fucking booze running through me and without chasing a fucking line of blow or out trying to fuck everything with the pulse and fucking East St. Louis. You know, get the fuck out of here. This is just the better, better life. And when I checked out of rehab, we, you, the way you get out is immediately going to either PHP, which is private outpatient, or intensive outpatient. I went to three hours a week, group therapy, one hour a week with the therapist. It's all per, you know, insurance wants you to get sober, paying, you know, they're helping pay a bill, right? So that was required, but it transformed me. Like those group therapies, you asked where it was born in me, uh, participating in them, meeting other people, 
that are just in the same fucking boat and have done the same dumb shit and sometimes were, sometimes not as bad, but everybody's got their fucking experience and their scars and my God, I mean, and, and addiction doesn't give a fuck who you fuck. Oh no. Doesn't care what color you are, what you look like, how fat you are, whatever the money you make or what you do for a living and none of that shit. I mean, there were, there were, yeah. And, and and it, it's, I've learned so much and that that's what, I think really started stirring the just desire and passion to show people that it's possible and give hope. Yeah, and I've seen you up close and personal because you and I have collaborated a few times in the last, let's say, three or four years to help certain people get into a treatment center or maybe help somebody find a place to go to to get better. And now you're really doing it on a hugely professional level. Tell our listeners about this facility you have going up. It's, it's, you said Swansea? Yeah, Illinois? Swansea, Illinois. A young man who's like a little brother to me. Eric Conley's his name is uh, is is one of the lucky ones, is what you're just describing, and, and, and has been working in the recovery industry as a, ad, a director of admissions for a couple of facilities and working call centers since he's, he's been just hit his sixth year a couple months ago. And, you know, it's he, he has that same like just passion that anybody that came to me when I did that podcast in 2020, I would send it. It was a call to Eric, talk to this person, whether it's the addict or usually the mother. And there's nobody better at getting on the level, talking with a mother, talking with an addict and helping them understand that treatment or yeah, treatment's the best option. Detox, let's change your life. There's so much hope and it's worth it. And he approached me a couple of months ago that he's in pursue his dream and he, i'm grateful enough that he asked me to be a, a part of that so i'm a part owner of illinois recovery center in swansea illinois supporting eric as the ceo and, and founder we were just you know been living over there working painting he's a he's a he's an old school guy that doesn't want to outsource rehabbing a facility he's a do-it-yourselfer i'm a I got a guy that can. Yeah, that's sure. me. You dude. know, yeah. every time I show up there, I'm in my slacks and shoes just so they don't fucking hand me a paintbrush. But hey, man, <laughs> we'll get her open. And uh, he's uh, he's got what what we cannot wait. There's not enough beds, unfortunately. That's it's going reality. on everywhere. I will tell you this: that there's reputations in the industry, good and bad. But there there is a divide. There's been some horror stories down in Florida about which is that's been a little bit that's been kind of righted of about some uh, shady treatment facilities. I, I will assure the, your, your listeners that, that that Illinois Recovery Center is mission-focused, first and foremost. You know, there there is money to be made in, in these treatment centers. It's not a secret, but there's a right way to do it. And, and, and Eric, one of the blessings is, is, I believe, at a place, one of the places, you know, used to work, their mission changed and... He said, I'm out. I'm going to open my own place. And what an inspiration he's been to me. And here, I remember picking this kid up uh, in one, during one of his relapses and was going to take him to a baseball game. And I was like, I can't take this fucking kid to Bush Stadium. There's no way. So I brought him back to my house, tried so to get him Eric? sober. Yeah. Wow. And then got him back. And I had to call his sister, uh, who and I had been really close over the years. And I was like, "This, it's not good. And his sister and them, finally, we got Eric to... He, he, Eric got himself to the airport and went to a treatment facility and finally has been clean for about over six years and Great. just flying, man, and, and has a passion for people. And, and we can't wait to just see what we can do in transforming lives. That's amazing. So 50 beds, detox, residential, 
over in Swansea. Uh, it's campus type setup, so it's right and it's it's pretty nice. It'll be pretty nice. But it, you know, one of Eric's big statements, you know, this isn't fucking passages of Malibu. This is we're you come here, we're gonna we're gonna get you clean, and then we're gonna go to work and and give you the tools that you need to to live a life of sustainable recovery. You know, we don't want to see you back here, right? Which is where some of the bad reputation treatment facilities—they do want them back, they want so them they back. can get paid again. Uh-huh. That passages of Malibu fucking place—it's like in the on the beach. Like that looks like right. like I want to go there, and I don't even need to. <laughs> yeah, like, they got a hotel how there. How much does that fucking place cost? I bet though, Jesus. Just vacation. Wouldn't yeah. want to know, but you know that's that's celebrity shit. We're not we're not after that, and that ain't the place. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really a it's his dream, and and. I love this kid, and, and and you know it's a dream of mine as well. So this is can be more excited to get going. So thanks for letting me talk about it a little oh, bit. Dude. Oh, of course. That's Fucking I mean, thank you for. I, I knew I knew I wanted to have you on here for a number of reasons, but the first and foremost, like you've been there, you know what it's like to dig yourself out of the hole, and I've I've watched you operate in the last couple of years. When, like I said before, when you helped me you know, help somebody else find a place to go or offered me some advice on something to do with somebody that I knew Mm -hmm. that wasn't doing well. So my question now is, and I don't even mean like if if someone's going to go to your facility or any facility, what would you say to someone who may be listening to this, Mm -hmm. who's on the fence, who, who knows they need some help, but they're either afraid or they're stuck? What would you tell them to help them get over that hump and get and find some help? I look back I was listening to one of your guys' episodes. We were talking about it earlier on the on the absolute armpit shithole of social media, right? Mm-hmm. But every year on my sober anniversary, the the memory pops up, and I I posted a status, and I said this is the scariest day of my life, and I just put it, and then you check in with no phone, no nothing, but I checked. I, that's what I wrote, and it and it was in that moment. But God damn it, we can do hard things, and it's so fucking worth it. And I promise you life is better Mm -hmm. and you will begin to heal from whatever you're self-medicating from. There's so much abundant life on the other side of your addiction. One of the biggest myths that the poison in our bodies tells us is that there's no joy without it. And that's bullshit. And that is 100% bullshit. And I promise you that because there is. There's yeah, there's I, a lot of joy on the outside of the uh, alcohol, the needle, the pill. I can totally feel that. I feel like I feel like barbecuing w- wouldn't be as fun without beer. Mm-hmm. I feel like going fishing would not be near as fun without beer. You know, uh, fucking anything. I feel like mm-hmm. Thanksgiving with the family wouldn't be as fun without beers. You know what I mean? So I get that. And and it's it's. I'll be honest. It's hard for me to imagine mm-hmm. it being better. <laughs> without like a, sitting out on the back patio on a fucking Sunday barbecuing with charcoal going 80 degrees music going I feel like beer is a big part of making mm-hmm. that joyful you know what I mean and I guess that's kind of a maybe I, I should look into I just tell you that, <laughs> I, I should I, look at myself in the, in the I, I, for I, a minute I, there. I promise you that you can do that and have as much fun without it It it's, and feel better the next day and I, <laughs> do a lot <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that the only thing that I don't like to do that I used to like to do with alcohol is sit at a fucking bar till two in the morning. Oh God, that's I can't cool. do that on no. club soda because I get annoyed as fuck by all these drunk motherfuckers. Yeah. But they give me their. I do get a lot of. I do get a lot of 
promises. I'm going to stop tomorrow. I, I've, I've, how'd you do it? You can do it. I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm going to stop drinking. You're going to help me out. Yeah. I get a lot of that. Yeah. My, my favorite is when I'm in the bar now, if I go out and I'm out late and you get the guy or girl in there who's you know been overserved and they tell you the same story three times right. within like an hour. And you're like, yeah. hey, look, I uh, just heard that story. <laughs> you don't recall telling me the story, but I, I heard it the first you. time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's, uh, that's, that's, that is a, uh, it happens often. Oh, oh yes. Man. It's, fu- it's funny. There's some people that are coming to mind that are, uh, start repeating themselves earlier in the day. <laughs> are there any plans to resurrect your podcast, Pond Off Anonymous? <laughs> you know, I, I keep dodging that bullet, but uh, I've had the nudges. We talked about it yesterday over at IRC, Illinois Recovery Center, and we talked about it here today and I've had nudges. Uh, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, but I, I can, I can see it probably coming back. And, and, it, you know, I, when I did it, it was to help one person. And if I could help one person change their life, then it was totally worth it. And, you know, there was over 50 that, that reached out and wanted to make a change. I didn't, haven't done the analytics on their success afterwards, but I do know at least 10 people that have been affected by it for the positive. So, God damn it, I probably... No, it's not Christian. Sorry. <laughs> I always do that. When I fuck up, I go, that's not Christian. I feel like I'm a zombie. <laughs> it's okay. Before I met my wife, I was like, fuck. You I just cleanse yourself. Or, you can say whatever you want. You should do that. All right, so, exactly. Yeah. That's well, how I mean, it works. Fine. I, I do think, it again. I think Let us good. pray. I think you're good at it. You know. <laughs> well, you I were mean, on it. I was on your podcast. You was a great one. Was a couple years ago? Yeah, we were telling <laughs> golf stories, and you shared yeah. your story. It was and I just feel like the more podcasts like yours, like ours, that are out there, just maybe, like you said, you might only help one person, but as long as we can make that conversation a little bit more regular, then I think, like you talked about today, what, what would I, what would you say to someone who's struggling mm-hmm. to try to get over that hump? Like sometimes people just need to hear that from someone they don't even know. You know? Yeah. No. It, oh, dude. Yeah. I can't imagine like people listening. There's going to be people that are listening to this right now, and they're going to listen to your story from start to finish, and it gives them the hope they probably didn't have at all. Because when you're pounding down two fucking whatever mm-hmm. the hell you were drinking a day every day, and there's people that do that all over. Yeah. Plenty of people listening right now, and they're thinking, all right, well, and you, you hit back on the trauma and they, the, the the excuses, the crutches, that this is why I do this. This right. is okay because I went through this type shit. There's so many people that are listening to this right now that are going to hear that, think, yeah, that's me, and then they're going to hear you nine years sober, feeling fantastic, and that, the, you're just, that you give a lot of hope. And this is going to, you coming on here right now, Gives a well, ton thanks, of hope. Man. I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's huge. No, I mean it's huge. Well, you know, it. I tell my my son who's who's nine, who's our first foster placement, and he was adopted. We had pleasure and greatest things happened to us is we were able to adopt him in January of twenty. And we as he as he grows up, it's very smart. He's knows a lot for a nine year old. That's amazing. You yeah. adopted, so you adopted a six year old. He was sick. He came. Yeah, was placed with us when he was three, just after his third birthday, and then yeah, he was. He that's was when our it became official. And then when we were able to, oh fuck, man, you're doing it all. That's him. amazing. We tell him that you know you're going to you're going to persevere despite your adversity, despite your sorry. We're not you know there's we're going to work hard to it not be a because it's not it 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 doesn't make you weak to to come to this fucking shit man there's a lot of bad nasty trauma out there that's happening to i've seen the worst of the worst being a foster parent it's there's so many kids out there that don't stand a fucking chance that are yeah, it's sickening what's that some of this shit that's going on and 
it, it doesn't make a person weak that's getting fucking cigarettes put out on them and they're ass kicked when they're babies to yeah. to fucking turn to a bottle of booze. I, I'm I'm not right. saying that. I'm just what what I am saying is there there is a there is another way and and you can not use it as a crutch and and try to use it as a I'm gonna do this I'm gonna overcome this and I'm gonna fucking let it fire me up and and I think I mean that's kind of what we're trying to tell Charlie and uh, and I hope it. It, you know, pray every day it sticks. And he's, I, th- I see it in him. He's probably the most resilient, let's call him motherfucker I've ever met. I love him so much, but he gets, drives me insane. But he's, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a, he, he's a, he's a baller. And uh, I'll tell you that these kids, he's brave. And, you know, part of me, like he can get through hard days and I can, I can get through hard days. So there, there will be adversity on the other side of recovery, but it's part of life. And, 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 and it's it, the, what I tell people is the hills and valleys aren't mountaintops and fucking rock bottoms anymore. Like you might feel a fucking temporary mountaintop when you snort that fucking line in Vegas or wherever you are. But that rock bottom is a deep fall, man. And what goes up must come down. So so a life of recovery is definitely more inside the lines. You you have peaks. I was just playing golf at Mayakoba in Cancun. It was, it was a fucking thrill. Oh, rough. It was a thrill. It was beautiful. I was getting my ass beat by this golf course. By Which place did you stay? Which one the, was it? I stayed at the Hilton All Inclusive down there, which is a little off the strip. Very okay. safe, nice. I was just there last year. Played golf at uh, fucking where was I? It was right on the beach. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, so Liv was just there, and that's I. I had won a little cheddar on the players at <laughs> DraftKings, so I was like, I, I told my wife, I go, I won money on golf. I'm gonna spend money on golf. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so you know. She got her couch. I got around at Mayakoba. Okay, so get the fuck off me. <laughs> she, uh, no, she's great. But that I, I played it, and I'm like, man, I wouldn't be here right now. No fucking way would I be here right now. And 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 that that was a pretty high high. And man, I'm not gonna fall off a fucking cliff and hit a rock bottom. Right. right. You know, you mentioned a moment ago about how you're kind of grooming Charlie, you mm-hmm. know, your son and all these people that you've met that have been addicts and you're an addict yourself. So am I, uh, how important in your mind is that grit and that perseverance to get to the the healthier place? I do feel that when we use, we're self-medicating from something. Of course. I, 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 I like, I, I, I'm always very wary of speaking in absolutes, but fuck man, I think a hundred percent of people that are drinking hard enough to, Become down the slippery slippery slope. Excuse me, that I went down, or or are chasing. Uh, I, I don't know everybody's story, so but it's it's self medicating from something. So there's something to overcome, and there the feeling of overcoming something. I mean, you're fucking ripped. You go to the fucking gym, right? And you're throwing up. You're talking to me? Up. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, about the gym. You got protein bars and protein shakes in here. Yeah, I'm not. Ripped. That's the first person that's ever said that to me. Thank you. You're throwing no, up. That's the motivation. There I you go. But, you know, people, when you do look back and you overcome something, I mean, you want to talk about a fucking orgasm, man. Like, it's it's better than any fucking high or drunk night I've ever, ever had. And so, yeah, it's critical. It's, it's, it's I agree. That's why I asked. Yeah. I just want to get your opinion because I think if you're going to shift from uh, – ugly place to a more healthy place you got to be willing to work at it a little bit sure you just do Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's it's work yeah and then that work to your point makes you feel awesome i didn't fucking yield like it's you know farmer and the crops and and what it yields is it's just bountiful man it really is and 
I, I and look, I, I'm not a, people hear the word work. Like it's not, a lot of people turn to gyms. A lot of people, when you hear in recovery, they, I mean, gyms are full of where people want to expend their, yeah. And I'm not, look at me, I'm a fucking gym rat, but I have other healthier. I, I do as bad. I, I have no excuse to be as bad as I am. I'm a mean 20, 19.9 after my round at my Akoba and my, is my gin. Your handicap. Yeah. But I can't get any better than that. My buddies say, don't. You're going to fuck up like our D flight. <laughs> they like to invite. I still get invites to tournaments because I'm there. I fill out their card pretty well at that 20. Yeah. <laughs> but I love, to go, I love to be outside in golf. I, I could not. And you could probably talk about this. Like if I could not parent living that way, I couldn't. I would be a dog fucking shit parent to a kid that needs, needs a good the parent. best parent. Yeah, He deserves it and is entitled to it. All kids are. And I owe it to him. So I, I just, you talk about work. That's probably the hardest work that I have to do is parenting. And I couldn't do it drinking. Yeah. No, that, man, fucking great story. I tried to bring in a heavy hitter here and there. You did good. No. <laughs> you did good. Sorry for rambling. No, no, no this Dude. is this is why we exactly wanted to get your perspective. Wanted, yeah. I knew that you have seen things and done things and are now doing even more to help your community, frankly. I mean, yeah, you, you had to take care of yourself and get yourself right, but you've parlayed your own success with your health into helping other people, and that's the whole point of why we're doing our podcast, why you, sure. d- you did your podcast. and. To me, I just think that your story will resonate with so many people because alcohol, I think, you know, people are talking about the fentanyl thing and it's terrible and I agree, but I think alcohol is my maybe the biggest challenge that we face in this country. I feel like alcohol leads to all those other things too. You know, like you said, Coke, you didn't want to do Coke until you were... No, it, it was definitely <laughs> the gateway for me. A, a lot um, of people, a lot of addicts don't drink because it'll take them down that fucking, that's like pushing off the slope. Mm-hmm. The alcohol starts with there and next thing you know... Well, yeah. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks like, for having absolutely. me. This is great. I'm Appreciate glad you guys it. are doing this. I I wasn't kidding when I said it's about time because I know you just got such a knack for it. It's great to meet you. This is a, your you. natural nice to meet you, shit. Dude. Thank you. No, thank you very much. It's really I love your guys' episodes. It's been fun. My my wife listens. She's, you know, in the mental health. I mean, that's what her life is dedicated yeah. to. Is and she gonna be pissed that you ripped her on this? No, yeah. she's yeah. Are you kidding me? She was broke. The shit I say about her on the fucking <laughs> McKernan show. She doesn't That's know, true. She doesn't know the point. tip of that. She doesn't only knows the tip. <laughs> I uh, forgot about that for a second. <laughs> How could I forget? I, there's a there's another impossible be impossible. This this gal is full of grace and kindness and all the things and, and I, I don't I don't understand it, but I'll take it. Well yeah. whether you believe it or not, you're full of grace and you're full of kindness. And if you weren't you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing in your community. So it's true. For that, you know, yeah. we're proud to have you on this podcast for sure. Well, I yeah, well, appreciate it, guys. It's very humbling. Yeah, man. We'll uh, we'll try mind. to have you come back on after the uh, after you're fully June first, right? Yeah. So wow, you... that's quick. Uh, we'll do the we'll six do weeks. No, no, no. I was talking about your <laughs> when you open your shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Shit. Was anniversary was a couple weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So June first. You know, there's a chance it's sooner. Well, uh, it's like six weeks from now. I'll uh, I'll keep you guys posted yeah. for sure. And I, I do want to. Maybe in the notes, you guys can share a contact if anybody is hears this and is struggling on who they can reach out to. I mean, they got my personal cell. I don't care. We'll, throw it on out there. We'll text it. Or they can text me, and I can get them connected to to feel, our intake. Feel free to throw your number it's out there. Three one four five five six three six four one is my cell. I mean, text me, and we will get all that info to the Podfather, and he will include it in the show notes and all the. He's details. insane. He's awesome. Yeah, he's, 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 yeah. he's definitely on the varsity. There's no yeah. doubt. About that. <laughs> Chris Pondoff, thank you so much for coming in. For my partner, the Natty King, Brandon McNamee, I'm Michael Wellington. We'll see you next time on Street Smart. Love you. Bye.